Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, May 22nd. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. With nearly 95,000 Americans dead from COVID-19, President Trump suggesting he will not close down the country again if and when a second wave hits. A controversial drug touted by the president now being linked to increased deaths in coronavirus patients. And from Brazil to Mexico and Peru, the outbreak is worsening in Latin America. A look at the struggles facing the region. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. President Trump appearing in public without a mask during most of his visit to a Ford plant in Michigan, addressing several concerns, such as a potential second coronavirus wave in the fall or winter. Meanwhile, the CDC releasing new numbers as part of new guidance to provide leaders and states help as they reopen. President Trump touring a Ford plant in Michigan that now makes ventilators. The president was surrounded by auto executives. Everyone socially distanced and everyone wore a mask except Trump. At one point, he held up a face shield and even showed off a mask of his own, complete with the presidential seal. Here's my, here's my mask right here. And I liked it very much. I actually, honestly, I think I look better in the mask. I really did. I look better in the mask, but I'm making a uh, but I'm making a speech. But in front of the White House press corps traveling with him, he never put it on. He said it just wasn't necessary. Everybody's been tested and I've been tested. In fact, I was tested this morning, so it's not necessary. Ford company later issuing a statement saying Bill Ford encouraged the president to wear a mask and that he complied during a private viewing of Ford cars. Then he removed it for the remainder of the visit. An anonymous source snapped a photo of the president wearing his mask. I had one on before. I wore one in this back area, but I didn't want to give the press the pleasure of seeing it. During the visit, President Trump expressed confidence that the U.S. will not need to implement social distancing measures again this year. A reporter also asked the president if he was concerned about a possible second wave of the virus. People say that's a very distinct possibility, it's standard, and we're going to put out the fires. We're not going to close the country, we're going to put out the fires. There could be, whether it's an ember or a flame, we're going to put it out. A recent study from Columbia University suggested that 36,000 coronavirus deaths could have been avoided had the country closed earlier. The president reacted to those results. Uh, Columbia is an institution that's uh, very liberal. Uh, it's a, uh, I think it's just a political hit job, you want to know the truth. Meanwhile, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates about 35 percent of people infected with coronavirus are asymptomatic. And it says about 0.4 percent of people who develop COVID-19 will die from it. The CDC also updating its website, reminding people the virus does not spread as easily on surfaces as initially thought, saying, quote, the virus spreads easily between people, adding touching surfaces or objects is not the main ways the virus spreads. A new ABC News Ipsos poll found that the pandemic has hit African-Americans and Latinos the hardest. Both minority groups are nearly three times as likely to personally know someone who has died from the coronavirus than white Americans. 30% of African-American adults and 26% of Latino adults in the U.S. say they know a victim of the virus who either died or had some sort of complication. 
The anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine, which has been touted by Trump, is now being linked to an increased risk of death in coronavirus patients. A study of 96,000 hospitalized coronavirus patients on six continents found that those who received hydroxychloroquine had a higher risk of death as compared with those who did not. The study published today in the Lancet Medical Journal found that people treated with the medication or the closely related drug chloroquine were also more likely to develop a type of irregular heart rhythm or arrhythmia that can lead to sudden cardiac death. The CDC acknowledged yesterday that it's combining the results from viral and antibody coronavirus tests in their reporting, skewing the total number of tests conducted in our country. The CDC's practice was first reported by our next guest, Daniel Rivero, a reporter at Miami's NPR station, WLRN. Danny, thanks so much. You can join us today. Welcome. So this Thanks is a stunning me, revelation. Has the CDC provided a reason for lumping these two tests together? The reason the CDC has given up to this point has been that they want to track all the testing that's done across the country. Um, they are tracking that according to what they have on their dashboard. The problem is that they are tracking two different kinds of tests that measure two different kinds of things and putting them in the same place. And the uh, effect of that is that it makes it look like more tests are being conducted, more tests for current infections of the coronavirus. Um, and they're lumping it all together. And one of the, the tests that's being tracked by them is the, the antibodies tests. That does not measure current infections. So no cases that, that uh, have traces from the antibody test are uh, going to count as a positive case. So when you put it all together, it brings down the overall positive test rate, which the federal government is now leaning on and saying, look, we're doing better because the, the percentage has gone down. At what point and how exactly did you find out about this, that the tests were being combined? So the, the, the CDC released their own dashboard last week that, that uh, has every state in the country, um, the amount of tests that have been conducted. And we noticed that there was a really big difference between what the federal government was saying about how many tests have been conducted in the state of Florida, where I live, and what the, the federal government was saying. The federal government said that there was more than 200,000 more tests than what the state of Florida was saying. So I, I followed up with them. I was trying to figure out and understand what exactly was happening. And that's when the, the CDC did tell me that they are including antibody testing in that. The CDC's page reports today roughly 13 million tests conducted. Is there a way to know what percentage of that is for antibody testing and what is for the viral tests? Unfortunately, Andrea, um, up to this point, we do not have a way to separate any of that. Um, virtually unanimous across the board, every scientist that anyone will ever talk to on this will say, these two kind of tests are important. They're important to, to track, but not together. When you put it all together, you can't make sense of it because you don't know what percentage is one and what percentage is the other. So as of right now, there is no way to, to separate these two. Now, several states are also combining cases, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas, and Virginia. Have they addressed this yet? Yes. So one of the first uh, states that, that did acknowledge this was the state of Virginia. And they got a lot of pushback on it, and they actually stopped lumping these two kinds of numbers together. Um, Texas has uh, has been found to do it. The the governor there said, 
we're going to stop doing it. It looks like they are still doing it, but they, they're starting to make moves to stop doing it. That's uh, one of the reasons why it was alarming to know that the, the federal government is looping these two things in together, because, like I said, it's, it's unanimous that when you lump these two things together, it makes the government look like they're doing more than they actually are doing. It paints a prettier picture than, than the reality. So when you know policymakers are making decisions about to reopen, that's not the way you want to do it. You want to you want to do it on real numbers, not fluffy make believe numbers. Well, definitely a very interesting subject that we as journalists should continue to investigate. Thanks so much, Daniel Rivero, reporter at Miami's NPR station WLRN. Thanks so much. Thank you. Meanwhile, at the White House, flags are at half-staff in memory of the nearly 95,000 Americans who have lost their lives due to coronavirus. This will also be the scene at government buildings throughout the U.S. President Trump issued the order to mark the loss of life in the COVID-19 pandemic to date. The virus continues to spread across the country with more than one and a half million confirmed cases in the U.S., according to Johns Hopkins University. Flags will remain at half-staff until noon on Monday to commemorate the Memorial Day holiday. It's likely to be a Memorial Day weekend like no other. People expected to head out on road trips, hitting the beach and hosting some family gatherings. Experts advising caution, reminding residents the pandemic is not over. This, as some states announce strict social distancing guidelines and others do the opposite. Lorraine Gasseres has more. With Memorial Day around the corner, people all over the country are ready to enjoy the unofficial start of summer. University of Maryland researchers say road trips are nearing pre-pandemic levels. Last weekend, climbing 18% in Maryland and Virginia alone. Travel firm Inrex thinks typical traffic will return some spots this weekend, a driving holiday that's become difficult to forecast. For the first time in nearly two decades, AAA is not releasing a travel forecast because the economic data is just not readily available for us to do so. Thousands heading to beaches like Point Pleasant in New Jersey, where social distancing rules will be strictly implemented, allowing only 197 groups in roughly 18-foot square areas with six feet in between, and the mayor setting up new guidelines to keep lifeguards safe. Their medical kits themselves are going to be outfitted with specific PPE, uh, gowns, masks, gloves. This biologist offering his advice on CNN on how to stay safe while gathering with family and friends. If you've got loud friends, yes. Um, again, if you can maintain the distance while you're outside, you're, you are fine without masks unless you're in an area that is a bit of a hot spot at the moment. But in some states, strict social distancing won't be necessary. Starting today, most of Indiana allowing gatherings of up to 100 people. Retail stores and malls now operating at 75% capacity. Alaska skipping straight to phase four, mostly open. Ohio announcing plans to allow wedding receptions of up to 300 people to start at the beginning of June. We recognize that there are a lot of weddings and events that are important to people's lives. We are just asking that it be done safely. This, as the New York Times reports, cases are increasing in seven states. Alabama is one of them. Well, right now, if you're from Montgomery and you need an ICU bed, you're in trouble because our health care system has been maxed out.
Experts from the University of Alabama say infections can very possibly get out of control in that state after this weekend. Meanwhile, Navajo Nation, which has had a high rate of infections, is implementing a longer and more strict lockdown tonight until Monday morning to prevent further exposure. In Miami, Lorraine Cáceres, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And with limited service at restaurants across the country, the CDC is warning of heightened rodent activity. In its website, the CDC explains that community-wide closures have led to a decrease in food available to rodents, especially in dense commercial areas. The CDC says during these times, it is important to continue to practice safe rodent control, like removing food sources, water and shelter for rodents. Elsewhere around the country, U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar toured a testing site at Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Officials said one reason for the visit was to check on testing capacity for people who will attend the Republican National Convention in August. The cabinet secretary also met with local health care leaders about efforts to curb the spread of COVID-19 and reopen the state safely. In Maryland, an appointment-free coronavirus testing site ran out of tests in less than two hours. This was the scene in Baltimore on Thursday where cars lined up at the Timonium Fairgrounds for testing. And after less than two hours, the site reached its capacity, giving 1,000 tests. Officials then shut down the site. The governor of Maryland has directed the state health department to make appointment-free testing available throughout the state. And 100,000 protective masks and 25,000 coveralls arrived at Joint Base Andrews as part of a donation to FEMA for coronavirus response efforts. Officials from the Pakistani embassy were on hand to greet the arriving Pakistani military aircrew. A nine-year-old boy with autism who police say was abducted Thursday night in suburban Miami has been found dead this morning. According to police, the boy's mother, Patricia Ripley, was driving when she noticed that she was being followed by a light blue four-door sedan. The car blocked her as a passenger got out of the vehicle, ambushing Ripley and demanding drugs from her. Police said Ripley told the man she didn't have any drugs. At that point, he snatched her son, Alejandro Ripley, and her cell phone before getting back in the car and fleeing. A bizarre scene now being investigated by police in New York. A murder taking place during a Zoom chat on Thursday. Now a man is in custody accused of killing his father. 72-year-old 70, Dwight Powers was participating in a video chat with about 20 others when his 32-year-old son, Thomas Scully Powers, allegedly stabbed him. Suffolk County police say people on the video chat became concerned after they noticed the man fall, several of them then called 911. In Georgia, the man who recorded the fatal shooting of African-American jogger Ahmad Arbery is now behind bars. William Roddy Bryan Jr. witnessed the deadly encounter between the two suspects and Arbery on February 23rd. Bryan was in a vehicle behind the pickup truck being driven by one of the suspects. Brian maintains he was not involved in this incident. One of the suspects, Gregory McMichael, allegedly told police that Brian tried to help them stop Arbery earlier. Brian faces charges of felony murder and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. Now to the latest on the suspected terror attack at a naval station in Texas. We're learning more about the alleged gunman as investigators search for a possible second accomplice. Aileen Cardez has the details. 
New details on the gunman investigators say carried out a suspected terror attack at the Naval Station in Corpus Christi, Texas. He has been identified by officials not confirming any other details about the men. Investigators said they were searching for another individual, saying the alleged shooter may not have acted alone. We would encourage the public to remain calm and if you see something, say something. On Thursday, the suspect sped through the gate on the base, then reportedly pulled out a gun unfired. One sailor was shot in the chest, but she escaped serious injuries thanks to a bulletproof vest. Authorities say other security guards then opened fire, killing the suspect. We have determined that the incident this morning at the Naval Air Station Corpus Christi is terrorism related. Authorities have been concerned that extremists may try to launch attacks while the country is preoccupied with coronavirus. Thursday's attack coming just days after investigators reported a link between Al-Qaeda and a Saudi military trainee who killed three Americans at a naval base in Pensacola, Florida last year. Azul Alvarez, U News. The 20-year-old suspect in a shooting at a Glendale, Arizona shopping mall considered himself an involuntary celibate and was targeting couples. This is what the prosecutor said at the shooter's first court appearance on Thursday. According to the prosecutor, the shooter, quote, had the purpose of taking out his expressed anger at society, the feeling that he has been bullied, the feeling that women didn't want him. Turning now to California, that state is the only one that has approved a controversial financial package for undocumented immigrants directly affected by the coronavirus pandemic. $75 million will be distributed to 150,000 people. But the Golden State is home to an estimated 2 million undocumented immigrants. And as the application process kicked into high gear, thousands became frustrated trying to apply by phone. Here's Salvador Duran with the story. The last few days, Marisol Ortiz has been on an emotional roller coaster as she desperately tries to apply by phone for much needed financial assistance being offered by the state of California. Marisol qualifies for a portion of the $75 million package approved by Governor Gavin Newsom for undocumented immigrants who lost their jobs due to the pandemic. This mother of four is a street vendor. She sells tamales in the Los Angeles area, but for the last two months she's been obeying the stay-at-home order and says her income is effectively down to zero. What's most urgent for you right now? My rent. That's my rent. You're behind how long? I'm behind for two months already. Mm -hmm. I own to the owner uh, like I will say 5,000. But the phone lines for the 12 nonprofit organizations that the state asked to screen applicants appear to be on fire, as hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants are trying to get a piece of the pie. Getting through has been a monumental challenge. On the first day alone, Chirla, one of the nonprofits helping with the application process, recorded a record 1.1 million calls. It's been overwhelming, but it was expected. We know that this program is only going to help a small portion of the undocumented people who qualified in the state of California, mm -hmm. but uh, we're doing our best to help those that do qualify. After all those calls on the program's first day, Chirla reported that they were only able to help a little over 1,600 applicants, but they're now taking steps to expedite the process. However, many callers who desperately need the money for food express their frustration on social media. They should have 
done a, a self-reflection and think, you know, there's millions of people undocumented in California, hundreds of thousands in Los Angeles. Do we have the infrastructure in place to receive those tens of thousands of calls at the same time? Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that the organization should have thought a bit, uh, a bit more on uh, to make sure that this mayhem wouldn't happen. It's really stressful. I'm being home, locked down for many weeks already, but the only concern is to get the money to get the bills paid on time. The state's financial aid package is available until the end of June. It allows for the $75 million to be distributed among 150,000 undocumented immigrants living in California. $500 per individual and $1,000 per family. With over 2 million undocumented people believed to be working in the Golden State, these funds are in high demand. The 12 nonprofit organizations that are processing the application are only asking people to be a little patient. They say they eventually will pick up the phone. In Los Angeles, I'm Salvador Dren, U News. A nightmare for an entire family after they all tested positive for coronavirus. That family making a promise. If they survived, they would help others going through the same exact thing. Brenda Cancino has their story. When coronavirus arrived for Patsy Rubalcaba, her life quickly turned into a nightmare. A nightmare that almost cost her her life. I only had a few days left to get better before they told me I would have to be admitted to the hospital. Now I'm using a nebulizer to help me with my breathing. She survived, but then her family members also got sick. Her mother, father, siblings, and even her husband. That was when this brave family realized they needed to take drastic measures. We decided to social distance here in our house. We made sure to stick to suggested distance between us, and we disinfected everything we could all the time. And so that is what they did, trapped inside together battling COVID-19 symptoms for over a month and a half. We had to battle something unknown. We were desperate, all of us. But they say that even in that desperation, their faith sustained them. Their biggest wish? Simply to survive. But to survive together, they eventually got that wish. In our prayers, we talked about staying alive and staying together. And we prayed for the same for others who were going through the same thing as we were. The family members also made a pact. They agreed that if they all made it through, each and everyone in their household would donate their plasma to help others battling the illness. When their battle with COVID-19 was over, that's exactly what they did. People should absolutely do this. It was so difficult to deal with this illness. And thank God we were all able to come out okay. I can't imagine those who have lost loved ones. The plasma treatment is a relatively simple procedure where blood is drawn from those who have successfully recovered from COVID-19. Around 3,000 patients in the United States have benefited from plasma treatments. And experts have been surprised at how well those treatments have been working there haven't been any reported side effects to date. The Urbina family hopes that those who have the ability to donate do so. Just a small way to give thanks and to help those in the community conquer coronavirus. Reported by Lourdes del Rio, this is Brenda Cancino, U News. More of U News after this short break. 
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your news covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Latin America appears to be reporting more coronavirus cases than the U.S. or Europe. That's according to data from the World Health Organization and Johns Hopkins University. The region has outstripped the U.S. and Europe for three straight days, reporting almost 33,000 new cases on Wednesday. The U.S. and Europe each posted about two-thirds that many on the same day. And on its own on Thursday, Mexico marked its largest single-day increase in confirmed coronavirus cases since the start of the outbreak. There are more than 60,000 confirmed cases so far, the third highest number in Latin America behind Brazil and Peru. Mexico recorded an additional 420 deaths, bringing the reported death toll to more than 6,500. Like all businesses, lottery games have also been affected economically by the pandemic. Record unemployment and orders to stay home have caused a drop in lottery sales. But as Luis Mejid reports, many gamblers have hope and maintain their belief in luck during these very difficult times. The coronavirus changed the world, but the world didn't stop. Even in these hard times, there are many trying to win the lottery. <laughs> like this woman who still believes it's possible. You would think that with more than 30 million unemployed workers, people would not want to throw money at a lottery ticket. But people still do. This man says he should have bought a hamburger instead of a losing ticket. It is true, nationally sales are down, but in most states, lotteries are classified as essential businesses, and they're open. In California, sales are down, many stores are closed, but people continue to buy lottery tickets, and its critics say Hispanics are more vulnerable. Arelia Taveras says minorities, the poor, and the unemployed are usually at risk. In the times of the coronavirus, to save the only money you still have is always the safest bet. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.